Welcome. Good morning to Christ the King. My name is Peter Schwanda, and again, I bring greetings back from our rector, David Glade. Today, we are continuing in Mark 6 in our gospel readings. And in this chapter of Mark, we see Jesus' power, power to control nature, to heal sickness, power even over death. And in the gospel of Mark, Mark emphasizes Jesus' teaching in order to show us something about his identity, his mission, his call. That is, who is Jesus? Why has he come? And for us, what does it mean to follow him? Last week, we considered a disciple's loyalty to Jesus. And in today's gospel reading, we see that the disciples are assembled, they're empowered, and they're sent out. So let's consider today what it means for us to come to Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to be sent out by Jesus. With hurricane season uh, upon us, I was thinking back this week to 2012. I was living in Connecticut, and many of you likely remember that Hurricane Sandy ravaged the East Coast. Over $70 billion in damage, well over 200 people killed in New York State alone, kind of the metro New York City area, over 700,000 houses uh, were damaged almost irreparably. There is significant need for repair, and our small church in Connecticut sought to help. Now, first, we did the type of help which is easier. We sent money. We sent stuff. We sent relief packages. It's necessary, but it's, relatively speaking, fairly easy. It just requires some resources. But then we were challenged not just to send things, but to be sent. This meant sacrificing time and energy, resources which are typically harder for us to part with. We had teams that traveled down to uh, Rockaway and areas of, the Queen, of Queens which had been especially badly hit. There were just blocks and blocks of homes. And I remember uh, going down there and there, they had spray painted little notes uh, on the sides of the houses. You could see where the water level had come up well into the first floor of these homes. And it was just tick marks all down blocks for miles down these beachfront towns, all damaged, all evacuated. Our task as a small little church group was daunting. We wouldn't even know where to start. But thankfully, we were gathered by a few folks who knew something about building repair and construction, and we were split into groups. I was working in student ministry at the time, and one of my students, Greg, and I had gone down together, and thankfully we were uh, paired up, and we were given instructions. Now, we were given instructions for a very specific task. We were to go into these dank, uh, dark basements where there had been failed sump pumps, standing water, belongings were floating and destroyed, and there were pounds and pounds of soaked insulation. We were sent into these with flashlights and told that we were to rip out all of the insulation. Now, this would have been overwhelming for myself, a young 20-something, and a 14-year-old kid, but we were given good instruction. We were told that we had the authority to be in the work of demolition, that is, ripping all of this out, and we went to work. Now, other people were given other tasks, and slowly we made our way through this first house, and we moved on down the block to the next and to the next. And over the course of the day and, and subsequent days, 
there was progress that was made, even if the task was daunting. We were gathered together, given good instructions, empowered, and sent out, much in the same way that our disciples are in Mark 6. Take a look at our gospel passage. We see that the disciples were gathered together. They were assembled by Jesus, the 12 of them, called together by their leader. You can follow along with some uh, sermon notes on the back page of your sermon uh, service leaflet. They were gathered together and they were given a mission. They were given instructions. We see from the passage that they were to proclaim, that they were given authority, not just to teach, but to cast out evil and to anoint for healing. And they were sent out, but not alone. They were sent out two, two by two. Anyone who's been to summer camp knows the buddy system. Thankfully, the disciples were operating on the buddy system. It's our first reminder here that there are not to be Lone Ranger Christians. We talk about our faith being personal, and that is true, but it is not meant to be lived out just as an individual. We're meant to live it out with others. Now, Jesus, being a good teacher, starts like my, most good teachers start and says to the disciples, watch, watch what I do. And over the course of his time with the disciples, he eventually transitions to saying, do this with me. And now, at this point in the ministry, Jesus is saying to the disciples, do it on your own. See, Christian disciples are made as they follow Jesus to become like Jesus in order to do what Jesus does. And so as we gather together with Christians on a Sunday morning in accountable relationships as a church, we do this to follow Jesus. As we gather as the, the body of Christ, there's power in being together and in asking the Lord to transform us so that we would do what the disciples do. In this sense, church is about being brought in because we are being brought in to the body of Christ. But we're also commissioned as a whole church, as the disciples were, with the mission of the gospel of Christ's kingdom. We're given tasks and we're given authority to proclaim, to preach, to perform acts of worship and deeds of mercy. We're to anoint, to bless people with these words and deeds. One of my favorite parts of the Anglican liturgy is a prayer that we will pray together at the end of our service. And it includes the words that we'll pray. We will pray, send us out to do the work you have given us to do. Now the apostles, that term apostle from the Greek literally means the ones who are sent out. And while we ourselves are not the apostles, we are not the 12 disciples that Jesus was speaking to, we are Christians that Christ has commissioned and given specific work to do in our time, in our age. And so, as we head into our weeks, seeking to do what the disciples do, seeking to do what Jesus does, we should expect that we're not sent out alone, we're sent with each other, and we're sent with the expectation that God will show up. Because the church isn't just about being brought in, the church is about being sent out. So for you, what is this work that you've been given to do? What pops into your head? Is it work inside your home, work outside of your home, work that pays the bills, perhaps a particular passion that you have? Maybe it's a role that you play in 
the lives of those you care about, a parent, a friend, a brother, a sister. Perhaps you're the Christian coworker at work. You might even be the only Christian that someone knows. Is there someone who knows that you might be able to speak words of life to them? Is there someone to whom you might offer the peace of Christ? If you aren't sure what some of that work is that God has given you to do, I can assure you that there are many in the church who would love to think that through with you, myself included. And I would simply suggest that you pray the words of our gospel hymn. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I will go if you lead me. See, the disciples began probably with many of the same hesitations that we begin with. They began as spectators, then they became companions and eventually participants in God's work. And so just as Jesus sent them out, we too are being sent out. Now, many of you know that I've got a nine-month-old and a uh, three-year-old at home, and I'm learning as a parent that the word vacation has suddenly received a very new definition. We just enjoyed our first two-week vacation at the beach. Now, growing up in Maine, a trip to the beach meant something very different. It was a day trip, and the water was freezing. But going to North Carolina with the family meant that for one, we needed to upgrade the Honda Civic to an SUV, and we needed to fill it with every conceivable thing we might need. A bag for each person, pack and play, the sound machine, the toys for when we were inside, the toys for when we were at the beach, the tent so the baby won't get sunburned, the tent because in theory the baby might even take a nap at the beach, a kiddie pool, a kiddie pool you could bring to the beach. Somehow you might be able to limit the amount of sand they ingest, and you've got so much stuff, so you might as well bring a wagon so that you can carry it all. And if you're lucky, you might even have room to stuff one or two of the children in it. My definition of vacation changed. Less rest, more memories, less childcare help, a lot more stuff. The only thing we probably had in common with Jesus' command to the disciples that we brought sandals. But Jesus charges his disciples to travel much more lightly and with good reason. I got an email this week from Barna, a well-known, well-regarded uh, research firm, and they were promoting a product called True Motivate. And the email claimed to me that research shows that we are driven by 27 different motivations. And for the low, low price of $29, I could figure out what drives me. I saved $29 because I know most of what drives my decisions are comfort and security. That's why we bring stuff. That's why we accumulate things, because it gives us some measure of thinking that we're in control of our circumstances. So Jesus charges his disciples, and this is the first jaw drop moment of our reading. Look what he tells them to bring. Take nothing. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but wear sandals and do not put on two tunics. Have you ever been that person who thinks because you can't stuff one extra shirt in your tiny little carry-on at the airport, you'll just wear that second shirt? Don't even do that. Pack lightly. So why did Jesus tell the disciples to travel so lightly? 
Why did he take their packing list and cross everything off of it? The disciples, I'm sure, were thinking, Jesus, no, that's, that's what we need. He tells them this because God's people are to be concentrated. They're to be concentrated in the sense that they're to be focused and that, that extra stuff is going to distract them. That by bringing just the essentials, no extras, just the clothes on their backs, they're going to be able to be more focused, less distracted by the stuff, more focused on the mission that Jesus has given them. Emptied of all this stuff, they'll be able to be filled by God and his power. They're also to be concentrated in the sense of apple juice concentrate. Concentrated in that they're not diluted. In less is more. There's power in being concentrated, in not being watered down by extra distractions, extra physical things, extra ideologies that might water down what it is that Jesus has for them to do. They're also to be concentrated in the sense that they're not burdened. And I don't mean mostly burdened by the physical stuff. Anyone who has moved recently knows that the more stuff you have, the harder it is to move. Right? How many times have you brought that same box marked storage from one house to another? To this point, you don't even know what's in that box anymore. But more so in the sense, not of physical things, but of the other things which weigh us down. The emotional burdens, the bitterness we may carry towards someone or a wrong done in the past. The worry, the anxiety that just feels like it weighs us down. Perhaps it's the, the ideologies or the abstract questions that are just gnawing at us, that keep us up at night. To all of those things, hear Jesus' words. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The worries about those extra things, those things that you carry, give them to Jesus. Because he wants you to travel light so that you can see him more clearly, so that you can depend on him, so that you're actually freed up to respond to his direction. There's a prayer in our Book of Common Prayer which says, preserve us from faithless fears and worldly anxieties and grant that no clouds of this mortal life may hide from us the light of that love which is immortal. See, Jesus wants to lighten our load so that there won't be anything that will obscure us from seeing God. He wants us to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Or as the great prophet Bob Dylan says in Like a Rolling Stone, when you ain't got nothing, you got nothing to lose. I had to slip that in in David Glade's absence, since you know he likes to quote the prophet Dylan. Jesus wants to intentionally reduce our load so that we're more free to follow him. Now, I grew up in a family of Boy Scouts. My dad had an infamous two-page packing list for every camping trip or backpacking trip we went on. Be prepared was not just the scout motto, it was the Schwanda motto. Think about these disciples in that packing list. And then think about the instructions that Jesus gave them. How do you think they were feeling? Anxious? Worried? Fearful? Probably a bit like we would have been feeling. And the question that I'm sure they were asking is, are we ready for this? 
Maybe if Jesus let us bring our stuff. Maybe if we had a little bit more training, Jesus. But to their question, are we ready? Jesus says, yes, but you only need to depend on me. See, stripped of these traveling comforts, that Jesus, Jesus would have to be their source of provision. They would have to depend on Middle Eastern generosity. They would have to depend on a stranger taking them in and welcoming them into their home. And they would have to depend on that offer from a host being the spot where they were to say, look at, look at, there's something curious in this reading, and it took me a while to figure out exactly what it was that Jesus means by it. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Well, that seems kind of obvious. Like, when you leave, then you won't be staying there, right? The point is, when they were to go to a new town, they were to be taken in by the first person who offered them housing, and they weren't to look for a better offer. They weren't to look for a better, a better host, somebody who might serve better food, a bigger place, a better reputation. They were to depend on what God provided for them, not to use their winsomeness, not to use their strategic thinking, to get them a better spot, but to depend on God. So, were the disciples ready? Are we ready? Are we even qualified? One commentator puts it, there's no amount of hearing or teaching or observing miracles or even being with Jesus that would be enough for the disciples. There comes a moment when the true moment of growth arrives, and it's when we're able to speak a word of witness or do some gospel deed in which our reputation, our being, depends on there being a power there to sustain us. Or as Hudson Taylor, the great British missionary, put it, all God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on God being with them. Stripped of our stuff, we have to depend on God. We have to depend on the power of the one who has called us. It's far more important than the training we've received is the calling that we've been given. You likely know the chorus of Like a Rolling Stone. I won't attempt a Dylan impersonation, but the lyrics go, how does it feel? How does it feel to be on your own with no direction home, like a complete unknown, like a rolling stone? The disciples aren't alone, nor are we. They're not without direction. They've received it from Jesus. And so too have we. And they're not unknown, for they have a God who knows them, who has called them, and who sends them. And so do we. So how did they feel? Even with all that, I bet they felt ill-equipped. I bet they didn't think they were ready. But that's the point. The point is that they, aren't Ill, they are ill-equipped based on what they can provide. Because with man, much is impossible. But with God, we are equipped by the one who Scripture says can do more than we can ask or imagine. And God is qualified. You may have heard uh, the saying, I'm not sure whether I like it or not, but it's, God does not call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. I think that's probably how the disciples felt. When they came back from that journey, look how our, our story ends, verse 13. What happened on this trip where they sent out with all these worries? It says, 
They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. They felt unqualified and they got back and said, you know what? Jesus qualified us and all we were were called and sent out. Perhaps you can think of moments in your life where you felt ill-equipped but God showed up. See, things more than worked out for the disciples. Sometimes we chalk things up to God's providence and say, well, I guess God was being gracious with me. He probably was. But if we stop and notice that God is at work, I think we'll be amazed, perhaps even on the scale of what God does through the disciples. Miracles. He ca- they cast out demons. They anointed people and were healed. Now, anointing people with olive oil in that uh, culture was something which oftentimes was symbolic. It was also oftentimes something that was meant as a, a healing bomb, putting oil on a wound. Think of the, the Good Samaritan is something that would actually help with the healing process. But this isn't just that. God actually healed people beyond the symbolic or the simple medicinal purpose of the oil. It is God who works in you to will and to act on behalf of his good purpose. So even if the disciples didn't think that those miraculous things were going to happen, God worked. Even if you have your hesitations, your anxieties, God works. They were just students following their teacher, following their rabbi. And so are we. The disciples had watched, they'd been a a part of this ministry, and now they're sent out. But not on their own, they're sent out together. They're stripped down, traveling light, and given work to do. And this is the same commission that we are given by God. Travel light. Focus on me. I've given you work to do. But it is I who will do the work. And thanks be to God. Amen.